Amen. Thank you for that worship this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, little Old Testament series, Daniel chapter 1. It's where we'll be starting at in 2024, Daniel chapter 1. Uh, ask a question, how many of you, feel free to raise your hand, how many of you have heard the phrase or have said the phrase, particularly as a parent, if everyone was jumping off a cliff, would you jump to? Yes. Any young people heard your parents say that? You can raise your hand. If everybody's doing it, if everybody's doing it, would you do it too? I heard that all the time because I was someone who wanted to fit in. I wanted to go do what my friends were doing, uh, even if my friends were at least one point literally jumping off of a cliff. And, and, and cause I, I, this is funny. I remember I was like, we wanted to go. It was, it was actually off of a bridge. We were going to dive into this deep water. And my mom goes, and I said, everybody's doing it. All my friends are doing it. And she goes, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you too? I said, yes, that's what we're doing. That's, <laughs> that's literally what we were doing. Uh, but it may not have been the safest thing in the world to do. That is kind of the idea of Daniel. Daniel and his friends find themselves in a situation where everybody's doing something. The world around them is all going in the same direction. And Daniel and his friends are faced with the question, do we go that direction also? St. Augustine said this, so true. True today, it was true back then, hundreds of years ago. Right is right, even if no one is doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. I want that to sink in as we set the context for our, our, our series through Daniel. That right is right, even if no one is doing it. Wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. The book of Daniel, in particular, these first six chapters of the narrative, the story of these, these four teenagers, it's about four young men who have an unshakable faith. Amen. An unshakable faith. It is a story where they find themselves in a context immersed in a worldly system, in a worldly system that is doing what is wrong over and over and over, and they are going to determine to have an unshakable faith in this new culture, in this new way of life, in this new place. When everybody else is just going with the flow and jumping off the cliff, they are going to remain faithful. We're going to look at the entirety of chapter 1 this morning. Okay, it's a long story, but it's one cohesive unit. We're going to do it in four kind of sections. The first one is the context of the story. We have to understand the, the context of what is happening. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of, reign, in, of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, Along with some of the vessels and vassals of the house of God, Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. This is the context of the whole story of Daniel. The nation of, go back in time, Israel used to be one unified country. Right, King David, the entire nation of Israel was just one unified area. Over time, it was divided into Israel in the north, Judah in the south. 
Uh, And then hundreds of years before this story takes place, Israel had already been conquered. Israel had already been uh, overthrown, the the northern kingdom. Uh, And then hundreds of years later, Nebuchadnezzar marches south and takes over Judah. So here's the situation. The promised land of God's people is occupied. There is no Jewish nation anymore. Most of the Jews have been exiled away from their homeland. They have been conquered. Okay, How did they get here? It's two really important things in the context you need to understand. The first one is there are consequences for sin. They are paying the price for their sin and for their rebellion. There are consequences for sin. There is a price to pay. The nation had over time become, had just degraded politically, declined spiritually. They are worshiping idols. They're disobeying God. Uh, They are doing anything and everything they can to avoid following the one true God. And it was a slow fade over time. The the King Jehoiakim's the worst king they ever had, the most godless king they'd ever had, and they had just led the people to a point of no return. Now listen, prophet after prophet after prophet showed up in Judah and said, guys, listen, you are on a path of destruction. You are on a path of disaster. God still loves you. God sent the prophets to tell you to repent. If you just get it together, if you just turn back to God, then all of this disaster will be avoided. But over and over again, the prophets were ignored and ignored and ignored. And the people of God, and God reached a point where he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and conquer them. Now listen, this is very, very important for you to understand. I don't believe God caused this to happen, but he allowed it to happen. Because the people of God ignored him. They were facing the consequences of sin. They were paying the price for their rebellion and their disobedience. The Bible tells us in the New Testament the wages of sin is death. God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. And there are consequences. But watch this, watch this. This is important. Don't want you to miss this. At the end of the story, you see that King Nebuchadnezzar, or into the context, King Nebuchadnezzar brings all of God's relics, all of God's things to his God, uh, probably uh, his name's Murduk, okay? And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, he, he's kind of sticking his thumb up to God. He, he's mocking the one true God. He's saying, I will bring all your stuff to my God because my God is superior. My God conquered their God. Oh, by the way, historical note, this is the last time the Ark of the Covenant's in Israel. The Ark of the Covenant is a part of this being taken to Babylon. It's the last time it sits in the temple. We don't know where it is today. It's the last time we know where it is. Because it's one of these things that are taken out of the land of Israel. Can you imagine God for a second? What is he thinking? Oh, you think your God's thought are better than me. God's like, I'm getting ready to show you something. Because the second thing of the context that you don't need to forget about is in the midst of consequences, God is still working. Don't lose sight of it. You might want to write that down. In the midst of consequences, God is still at work. Even though these people are 
in exile, even though it feels like they have been abandoned, even though they're going through the consequences of sin, God is still working in their life. The prophet Jeremiah told them, he's like, look, you're going to be here for 70 years, and it's going to be rough, but God's still going to restore you. God is still going to do a work because you are still God's people. In the midst of the consequences, God is doing his work at getting the attention of the Israelites and the attention of others. In this process, God is extending and expanding his kingdom. He is going to show Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to show the leaders of Babylon that he is the one true God. Through every story that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face, through every instance, God is going to be glorified and God is going to continue to work because God does not abandon his people. Amen. Yes. So you, you, and here's just the application to that. It doesn't matter how far you've sinned or how far you are running away from God. God is still working to get your attention. He is still working to bring you back and restore you to a right relationship with him. And that's the context of the whole book of Daniel as we go through this. But here's what's going to happen. You now, these four teenagers are in Babylon and now they have to go through a process of conformity they are faced this is the second part of the, the, the story the second section and I want you to see this the process of conformity and compromise verse 3 the king ordered Asnaz the chief eunuch to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family from the nobility young men without any physical defect good looking suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, perceptive, capable of serving the king's palace, he was to teach them the Chaldean language, their language, their literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judaites, were Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Baustajar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. So here's what's happening. They're bringing these young, young people, 14, 15-year-old kids into this kingdom, and they're going to teach them and immerse them and indoctrinate them. They're going to make them become Babylonians. Don't miss what they're doing. Did they bring in the older guys? No. Did they bring in the older people? No. They brought in the young people to influence them. Listen, we are always one generation away of Christianity dying. Their idea is if we can control the culture of a 14, 15-year-old who is impressionable, if we can change their minds, they'll become adults, and the God of the Israelites will be gone forever as generations die. We're always just one generation away, and they're forcing them and encouraging them and pressuring them and training them to become Babylonians. And it's a four-step process. And I know there's a lot of notes today, but there's a four-step process that you need to see. The first thing that they do to get them to conform and compromise is they isolate them. They rip them away from their homeland. They rip them away from their families. They're ripping them away from maybe their core friendship group because if they're isolated, there'll be no one to correct the educational system that they find themselves in. 
They won't be going home to mom and dad saying, what did you learn in school today? Well, that's not right. That's, that's unbiblical. That's ungodly. They're isolating them from anything and everything related to their old way of life. And then as they're isolated, they're indoctrinating them. They send them to the University of Babylon, the best school, it's the best education they can get. They're going there and they're learning the language. They're learning the literature. They're learning about all the gods and goddesses and all the different mythologies and religions. And they're just indoctrinating them, saying, this is the way of the world. This is the truth. And then they try to assimilate them by making them eat the food of the Babylonians. Wear the clothes, drink the drinks. They're giving them, now listen, let's just be real. Step back. This is good food. These are guys who probably ate bean, like, like broccoli their whole life, lettuce. We were joking about the Daniel diet earlier. Like, we're talking about lettuce and cabbage, maybe steamed cabbage, but probably not, just, just cabbage. Right? Maybe a bean, maybe, for protein. And now they're in Babylon, and here's beef. I don't know what it is. I'm just, just, this is the good stuff. All right? And they, they're going from drinking water to, ooh, what's this? Now, I've had a sip of wine. It's not very good. But in this day, it would have been like, whew. They would have been bombarded to assimilate, to wear these nice clothes and eat this amazing food, like, you know, 21-ounce ribeye smothered in butter with a perfect marbling. Yeah, it's just great, great food. They're assimilating them into a culture that they're not familiar with, giving them the pleasures of that culture, all the quote-unquote good things of this culture. They've isolated them, they're indoctrinating them, trying to get them to assimilate, to look like Babylonians. And here's the kicker. Then they go through identity transformation. They go through identity transformation. Now, we may see the changing of names as something not important, but in this day and in this context, the name was who you were. Listen to this. Daniel's name means God is my judge. The one true God is my judge. Balthasar, Baal, protects the king. They transformed his whole identity from God-fearing to celebrating a prophet of the Babylonian gods. Hananiah, God is gracious. What a great name that you got to walk around. God is gracious. Shadrach, Hananiah becomes Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, the moon god. The one true God wiped away from his identity. He's now under the command of Aku, the moon god. Michelle, there is none like God. This was his Hebrew name. There is none like God to Meshach. There is none like Aku, the moon god. Azariah says, God has helped me. How is his name? God has helped me. His identity has changed to Abednego, the servant of Nebu, the god of wisdom. They isolated them, they indoctrinate them, they assimilate them, they transform their identity. That happens today. You know that? Babylon, watch this, I don't want you to miss this. Babylon is a real place. It comes from the Tower of Babel. Babylonian Tower of Babel, that's where it all started. But in the New Testament, Babylon is a worldly system and it, throughout the Bible, it represents the worldly system that is anti-God, anti-God's word, anti-God's teaching. 
It is in complete hostility to God. And it's a system that has been in place ever since Adam and Eve ate that piece of fruit. It is the devil's system. And every generation and every culture has to live in it. Remember, the Bible says we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We have to navigate this Babylonian system. We're living in it today. I mean, you see this all throughout our culture. They're indoctrinating our kids. They're trying to isolate our kids. They're trying to assimilate our kids. Identity transformation is everywhere in all kinds of facets, in all kinds of ways. And this is the world we live in, but we have to have an unshakable faith to stand firm for God like these four young men. So as they're in this process to conform and compromise, when we get to verse 8, we see that they've determined to be devoted and dedicated to God. The third section is to be determined and dead, devoted and dedicated to God. Look at verse 8 in your text. Daniel determined, Daniel resolved, he made a conscious decision in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine or the drink. And so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. He didn't want to become corrupt. He didn't want to give in to sin. He didn't want to be impure. And watch this, God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. And he said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigns you your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner and the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. And so Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your spirit for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Listen, Daniel made a decision that he would have an unshakable faith, an unshakable devotion to God no matter what, and he probably made this decision long before he ever got to Babylon. He probably made this decision growing up as a young child with his mom and his dad and his grandparents teaching him the Bible, teaching him the word of God. And that's a whole other sermon in itself, parents. They are training him and these uh, three other young men to be devoted, determined, and dedicated. So when they find themselves surrounded by a worldly system doing what is wrong, they are going to stand up and say, no. I will follow God. And I know what you're thinking. It's food. Why are they taking a stand on food? Well, one, it is God's law. Now, I know for us as New Testament Christians, we don't necessarily follow those dietary guidelines. But for Daniel, immersed in his lifestyle, taught the word of God in a Jewish context, this would corrupt his body. This food would have been uh, dedicated to idols. It would have been sacrificed to other gods. And so Daniel's just like, no, we're drawing the line here. And you're like, it's just food. But watch this. Watch this. Don't miss this. If you fail to follow God in little things, don't miss it. If you fail to follow God in little things, you will fail to follow God in big things. The nation of Judah and Israel, they didn't start out completely disobedient to God. It was one compromise after another compromise after another compromise. They moved the line a quarter of an inch, a centimeter. 
And it was just a slow fade. If we fail to follow God, if we compromise on the little things because we don't think they're important, we will eventually compromise on the big things. We have to now today be determined that we will not compromise. No matter what the Babylonian world system around us does or says or pressures us, we will not compromise. We won't compromise on homosexuality. We won't compromise on abortion. We won't compromise on identity or adultery or false testimony or lying or idol worship or drunkenness or anger or sexual immorality of any kind. We won't compromise on gossip or backbiting or lust or anger. We won't compromise on doctrines of salvation. We won't compromise on the doctrine of the Trinity or the, or the virgin birth or the resurrection. We won't compromise on the fact that salvation is God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. And we have to make a determination that we will stand firm even if it costs us everything. Because I want you to know something. Daniel's taken a huge risk. You know that they could have killed him. They could have kicked him out. They would have had a whole group of young people. And there's probably young people conforming and giving in and going with the crowd. They could have said, well, you four guys, you're just causing trouble. Get out. Now, it worked out for Daniel. But for us, it doesn't always work out this way. I mean, it could cost us something. And Daniel says, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to be devoted and dedicated. I'm going to have an unshakable faith. I am determined with an unshakable determination. And here's what happens. Here's the fourth section. Again, understand something. It, it doesn't always work out for us this way. Okay, I don't want you to walk around thinking that if I do this, it's going to work out. No, you stand firm, you're going to face consequences too. Or it could work out. But no matter what the situation is, God blesses your faithfulness. God bless the faithfulness of these young men. Verse 13, and to the end. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the days, they looked better, healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them the vegetables and the water. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions. That's going to play a huge part in the chapter 2. And dreams of every kind in verse 18. At the end of that time, the king, at the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the other magicians and medians in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. God blessed these young men physically, spiritually, mentally, and socially. God poured out his blessings on their faithfulness. And because they determined in the little things to be faithful to God and they determined in the big things to be faithful with God, God when God's people are faithful, when God's people are faithful, the glory of God is shown to the faithless. When God's people are faithful, the glory of God is shown to the faithless. 
God displayed his glory and his righteousness to the lost people of Babylon. And you see this as the story plays out from King Nebuchadnezzar to the next king and so on, that they see God at work. They acknowledge the one true God and God is glorified because these young men stayed faithful. Have you determined in your heart and in your life to be faithful? Have you made that determination? Have you decided that if something goes on at work that goes against God's word, that you'll stand firm even if it costs you your job? Listen, a lot of us waffle in our faith and we hem and we haul around. We compromise, we make excuses because we've never really made the decision to follow Jesus to begin with. And I don't want you to think I'm saying this is easy. This is not an easy life. Christianity is not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's a hard life. There will be blessings and there will be good times, but standing firm will cost something. Have you fully committed to follow Jesus? Have you surrendered? Have you in your heart become determined to have an unshakable I don't know what the future holds for our world. But I know I watch enough TV to see Babylon is advancing quickly. Are you determined to stand firm and have an unshakable faith? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for our time. I thank you for these four young men who are an example to us, these teenagers who are thrown into an extremely difficult culture and this difficult situation. And they stood firm. Father, help us to stand firm on what is right. Help us to stand firm on loving you and loving people. Help us to stand firm on the truth of God's word no matter what. Help us to be unshakably determined. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.